0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Dunlop. This is a podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt. As we continue our trip down memory lane, I wanted to bring you an episode where I'm joined by someone very close to my heart. And the reason I'm bringing out this episode is because I get so many messages asking me to do something around friendship and the breakup of friendship and, you know, how it's a theme that just doesn't get enough airtime. We spend a lot of time talking about romantic relationships. I know I do. And we don't give enough to our friendships, to triumphant platonic love, as I titled this episode. And that was one of my biggest lessons and discoveries during my Saturn return was, you know, as someone that puts a lot of importance on romantic partnerships, how actually those friendships were the ones that kind of healed me and saved me. And Kelly was one of those people that came into my life during a difficult and turbulent time. And it was platonic love at first sight. And she made me feel so seen and so understood when I was going through the midst of a very painful breakup. And so it's a big theme of the book. It's a big chapter around discovering our self-worth, discovering what's important and our friendships really, you know, we should treasure them. They are the people that mend us when we're breaking and put us back together again. And so we need to nurture those relationships just as much as we do our romantic ones. Also, we will be unpacking in the live shows friendship and the sort of difficulties with it and the complexities of it, especially when friendships end or you have a sort of friendship breakup because so many of you have messaged me about it, so it feels appropriate to kind of bring that out. Um, So if you want to come and see us in January, you can find ticket links in the show notes. And if you want to pre-order the Saturn Returns book, you can also find a link in the show notes. Please, please do, because I want it to get as far and wide as possible and I need my community to help me do that. So thank you very much in advance if you have pre-ordered it. And I hope you enjoy this episode on with, you know, one of the great loves of my life on platonic love and unpacking our sort of friendship and everything we discuss. So I hope you enjoy.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Saturn Returns with me, Kagi Dunlop. This is a new podcast that aims to bring clarity during transitional times where there can be confusion and doubt.
2: There's been such like an energy exchange between both of us. I've seen it in myself and I think I've seen it in you just that we're both like really kind of rising into these like roles that Mm. that we're both that feel so authentic to both of us I feel. Mm, That's
1: really true. We've kind of ignited each other. Yeah a lot. Today, I am joined by founder of renowned interiors brand, Francis Loom, Kelly Wittingle. She is also a mental health advocate and host of Joan podcast and a spiritual seeker. But perhaps most importantly to me, she is one of my bestest friends. And a lot of you have requested an episode around female friendships. So I figured it would be appropriate to bring Kelly on for this final episode of Saturn Returns season one. So in this special episode, we discuss the importance of inner child work, the benefits of living abroad, and how media has sculpted an unobtainable ideal for women and how we can dismantle that. But most importantly, we discuss the wonders of triumphant platonic love and female friendship. During your Saturn return, and especially mine, friendship was an incredibly big theme. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and enjoy our conversation, and we're just going to dive on in. So here's Kelly. Because you moved to London only a couple of years ago. I moved to
2: London, like, roughly three years ago. But I've lived in so many different places. I've lived in New York City, I'm from New York, I'm from upstate New York, I've lived in New York City, I've lived in Los Angeles, I've, you know, I've lived in London, and all of these places, I've moved completely on my own. But it's been such an interesting transition to London because I moved for love and then he and I broke up. And I, you know, going through my Saturn return was so intense for me. So I went through this period of time where I just was like being pummeled to basically what felt like I was being forced to take off a mask that I had grown to sort of fake being this person. And it wasn't necessarily that I was faking. It was just um, a version of he. Yeah, it was just a version of me that I was putting out there that like I was trying to be. I wanted to be so bad, but I was also not acknowledging so many parts of myself. There was like all of this shadow that I wasn't acknowledging.
1: What was the sort of version of you that you were putting out?
2: Just like, you know, I'd started this business. It was super successful. Like the Instagram followers, like all of that stuff was happening. And I was like, and I wanted to be that person. And I, you know, I had met this guy from Italy and like, he was beautiful. And we were just having this really beautiful Instagram (laughs) (laughs) and it was like all this stuff because I'd put so much for my whole life. I'd put so much validation on my exterior, on the way I looked on how people perceived me. I still struggle with that. Like how, with how people perceive me. So what started happening was I started getting panic attacks sort of out of the blue and it was like I had one and then I had another one a month later and then another one three weeks later and then another one two weeks later and then they just started coming on and on and on Mm. to the point where I was what I felt like i felt like i was in a perpetual state of panic like tw- like 24 hours a day what what is
1: the sort of physicality of it to someone that's not actually cuz i think at the time it gets thrown around quite it does, it does. loosely now yeah.
2: so there's definitely a difference between an anxiety attack and a panic attack um, anxiety attack is more of this kind of like sort of overwhelming like thoughts are everywhere maybe some dissociation my experience of a panic attack is like I can remember I used to like touch my skin because I just had this feeling of wanting to crawl out of my body. That's what it felt like. It was just like, get me out of here. It was like shortness of breath, bracing heart, just cannot control the mind whatsoever. You're like, you're gone. You're like on another planet. I was so out of my body. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know how to be the person that I had kind of molded myself to be. And the way that I describe the panic attacks now, looking back, like it felt like my soul was like screaming inside of my body. Like wake, like it felt like it was like rattling inside of a cage. Like wake up. You have to like wake up to who you actually are. Mm. And since then I've been on such a journey of like, of just self-discovery.
1: But would you then say that that was sort of really when you begun to embark on your spiritual path? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I'd say that that was like, I'd been on a spiritual path for a while and had been interested in spirituality for a very, very long time. But it was really that like breaking down of self, like complete shattering of self. That's what it felt like for me. Like I, everything I knew about myself, everything I thought I knew about myself was demolished. So it was interesting because it was sort of this, like, rebuilding of mm. self. It was sort of this, like, okay, we we have a blank slate, which is a really weird place to be in when you're 27, mm. to be like... But in
1: hindsight, a really
2: good place to be in. And yeah, like hindsight, that. really good, very good place. <laughs> but it's so difficult to be, you know, to suddenly... I mean, in a lot of ways, I felt like a, I felt like a baby or something. I was like, okay, so how does this work again? How, like, how do I function in the world? And, Mm. and since then, it's just been this real, real journey of like, you know, a big one for me. And we talk about this a lot is going back to childhood, really looking at my childhood, um, which was very idyllic and I have amazing parents, but something that's really kind of on the forefront of mental health right now is this looking at emotional trauma, which is not heavily studied. It's relatively new. And how that fosters in the body and how that fosters in the body. Yeah. Yeah. Because emotional trauma, I was talking to my mom the other day and she was like, is there like a different word? It just sounds so intense. And I said to her, I was yeah. like, a very sensitive child could be yelled at. So it's not actually about the event. It's about how one processes it. Or so, doesn't. Or does, exactly. Or doesn't process it.
1: And it's really subconscious it's as well. It's all subconscious. Yeah.
2: That's, that's the challenging part is that you have to do so much deep diving into your own subconscious, into your own patterning, into the way that you look at the world. I mean it requires a pretty intense amount of dedication and awareness, to be honest. Like you have to be willing and want and, and wishing to do the work because the other thing is it doesn't feel it doesn't feel particularly good.
1: Oh no. It's incredibly uncomfortable.
2: Yeah, it's very uncomfortable. And also to go
1: back to what you mentioned about 27, like when we are reaching 27 or when we are like growing up towards that age, mm-hmm. we have this whole lifetime of of conditioning and experiences and we're like we're set up, we, we think we know everything and we think we're on this mm-hmm. trajectory and we're like, by 30, like, yeah, I've got it. And totally. then suddenly everything just is like, yeah. and it like blows up in your face. And then it goes against everything we think we should be in society mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. to have achieved and Well, know and that's all conditioning. Ourselves.
2: That's all the stuff that society and our families, love them all, have like put on us because... It's just the way that it's been. Mm-hmm. So there's this. There is this massive awakening happening right now, where people are realizing that they're unhappy, and everybody's like, "Wait, but like, but but why?" And it's realizing that we're all conditioned out of ourselves. But then also,
1: going back to that point of when things do feel like they're collapsing, mm-hmm. it's very easy for us to have this conversation in the hindsight, on the like o- other side of it, and be and you do just suddenly it's like coming out of this this tornado, and you're like, oh. That was completely necessary, yeah. <laughs> and actually, like, really benefited yeah, me. Yeah. But at the time, like, oh if my someone God. had told me, I would probably be like, "What the fuck do you mean?" Yeah, and how? I don't know whether I would have had. Well, I definitely didn't have the tools, but whether I would have had the stability to go into that work to mm-hmm. do the inner child work, because you do need to have, you do need to be oh, yeah. safe.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's part of it. Is that you have to start building safe relationships outside of yourself. So there's a term called co-regulation, which we all need. Like we're creatures of community. We have to be around other people. There are health. There's like it's massively beneficial to our health to be around other people.
1: Yeah, that actually made, reminded me of. I say his name wrong. So is it Gabriel Mate?
2: Gabriel Mate. Gabriel yeah. Mate,
1: who you adore. Yeah, and you I introduced do. me to. And he was talking about. How children can't actually like regulate their
2: no, they can't emotions. It's actually impossible. Like it, biologically, children can't regulate their own emotions. So if they get angry, they don't know how to calm themselves turn down. Turn the anger down. They need someone else, the parent, caretaker, sibling, whomever, to bounce that emotion off of in order to to to, to regulate it down it. to regulate it. And if that emotion goes unregulated, if the child is sent to the room or whatever it is to deal with it on their own, oftentimes what happens is that emotion gets repressed and then it gets stuck. And then it turns, you know, I mean, here we are like having panic attacks at 27. Mm. (laughs) I was, again, it's so interesting. My mom and I have been talking a lot about my own childhood and my parents are wonderful. And my mom was an amazing mom, but we've been talking about the ways in which I felt under parented I guess um and I said to her this morning I said you know as a society as a world as a western world we are literally emotionally illiterate is the Mm -hmm. word that I used like we live in such a value driven not not the good kind of values I guess it's um monetary value yeah monetary value physical value um
1: material
2: yeah material value that that's the word it's like everything's about like how you look how much money you're making, what you're doing, and it just it just isn't serving us. And, it, I mean, look around. It's literally crumbling. Like, it's crumbling. So
1: going back to, the, like, the inner child stuff, because I know that a lot of people are curious about it, and it is, I don't think it's by any means a new thing, but so it's been, I think it's been some of the most valuable work you and I have done, for 1,
2: sure. 1,000%.
1: Because I would say that everybody would benefit from doing inner child mm-hmm. work.
2: Everyone has a wounded inner child. Yeah,
1: but Everyone. some people will probably be like, I don't know if I need you. I don't know whether that, like, resonates with me. What would you say are the sort of, like, signals that
2: perhaps you have someone to do? I mean, oh, my God. There's so many. I mean, relationships are, like, the first place.
1: Yeah. That, that and can we just up. can we just go into that? Because I, I was reading um Alain de Botton. Bo- I always sound like such an idiot when I pronounce his <laughs> name like a French accent. <laughs> but I don't want to call, call him, like, Alan. Alan de <laughs> Um, But he talks about, you know how in relationship we automatically go into this space of of often like a a child parent Mm -hmm, dynamic mm -hmm. and i know personally Mm -hmm. i definitely fall into that role and also just without even thinking about it call each other baby and like use baby voices and when he wrote it like when i read it i was like that's so weird (laughs) but it's so normal
2: yeah yeah so often what's happening is when we go into relationship on a subconscious level we're trying to heal yeah, a wounded relationship from childhood. Mm-hmm. So like if you, there's usually one parent that you have a bigger wound with than the other, depending yeah. upon who raised you. We, we all just listen to that. And one person <laughs> came to mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what's happening is that as a child, when you couldn't, when you were trying to have your needs met, which our core needs are being seen and being heard. And when you're not, when those things aren't happening, you know, that's when children start to act out. Like when they start to to scream, when they start to, you know, they're trying to get your attention some way. So if they couldn't heal it then, there's always this kind of, again, it's subconscious. We we don't see it on a conscious level this attempt to heal that relationship for ourselves through another person. Mm. So there's often, someone else will show up. Oftentimes it's a mirror for what we need to see within ourselves. And also the Nobody most fucked up part
1: is that we're like super attracted to it. Yeah. <laughs> You're
2: literally totally. like,
1: ooh. Well, mm. because it's comfortable too, because that's what well, we it's know. familiar.
2: It's familiar. That's the thing. It's familiar.
1: So basically a, a massive thing is kind of unpinning your concept of love and what that might've been growing up Mm -hmm. and what you observed in the family.
2: Yeah. So again, it takes like, I can imagine that people listening to this are like, are having, there's going to be so much resistance to doing it. The ego will literally be like, nope, don't want to talk about it. Don't want to think about it because it's painful because it doesn't feel good. It's, It's uncomfortable. Like we said before, it doesn't feel good to do this work. Well, going back to what you
1: said about being seen and being heard, we also have these driving forces of like wanting to go through and be our like best selves, but also Mm -hmm. the child, the inner child and the ego is like, we want to stay safe. We're not doing any of this shit. La 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 la. Let's block out our ears and not, and not do this because it's like the unknown just terrifies everybody.
2: Yeah. The ego basically is trying to protect the shadow. And what the shadow is, is just the parts of ourselves that we believe are unlovable, which is untrue. All human beings are worthy and and valuable and lovable. And that's the thing is that so many of us grew up believing that love was conditional. Like, you know, even a parent who was like, you know, scolded you for having bad grades. Like that's, that tells a child that I'm not loved if I don't have good grades yeah Yeah. so that's that there's that value system again it's like oh I need to be this or if a parent put um emphasis on looks it's like oh I need to look a certain way in Mm -hmm. order to receive that love from them
1: it's just kind of revisiting those Mm -hmm. things I mean I I think I think for both of us I definitely and I spoke about it when I did the solo podcast is this idea that I'm like not lovable unless I look at look a certain way Mm -hmm. and that isn't just prescriptive to relationships that's like the wide like wider society in general it's like I cannot achieve and I cannot be deserving of like all these things until I am essentially perfect Mm -hmm. which of course Mm -hmm. is like Mm
2: -hmm. just
1: the can keep being kicked down the road because it's not achievable
2: yeah and also you are already are perfect like that's the whole thing is that like we literally are all already perfect But the other thing to look at is emotional trauma doesn't just happen from parents and from family. It happens from society too. So so a way in which I felt, you know, that I was affected by society, say, was growing up. It sounds silly, but growing up watching the Victoria's Secret fashion show. Like Mm -hmm. I saw these women on TV who looked a certain way. I was like nine years old when I first watched it with like Tyra Banks. And um, I was like, oh, like look at them.
1: Look at Mm. everyone else
2: looking at them. That's what it looks like to be... A woman and like yeah. a wanted woman.
1: Mm-hmm. You well, know. All the media we absorb?
2: Yeah. Already. Oh my God, completely. It's like, it's all of the beauty commercials. I mean, it's all of this. I don't necessarily want to call it capitalism, but it's this like, you need this in order to be yeah, this. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's like all of the commercials were fed and women, my God, it's like, it's just so over the top for women. It just really really gets me going when I, when I start to to talk about it and think about all of the ways in which so many women around the world are just. Don't feel
1: good enough. They don't feel good enough. And I'm kind of jumping into a bit of a off tangent, but I was listening to something the other day that kind of how this correlates to our, our sexuality or, or lack of sexuality, because we that's such a big part of it that it's like to be sexual and to be desired you need to look this way Mm -hmm. and if you go through your whole life never feeling like you do which most Mm -hmm. people don't Mm -hmm. you don't feel you have ownership over your own sexuality or over your own body or like you are deserving of that part of you
2: yeah you're you become a slave to being better all the time
1: and, to and serving to, other people.
2: Yeah, to serving other people, to not feeling good enough, to feeling like you need to be X, Y, and Z for this person or, you know. I mean, and I still have it come up. Like I've done so much work on this and I still think about going into a relationship and, and I get this like, oh God, like that feeling of not being perfect, like perfectionism. People laugh when I say I'm a recovering perfectionist, but I mean, I swear to God, it's like, it's so true. I mean, you, you know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but I mean,
1: I think you were more like the classic perfectionist than, than me because we've got a lot of similarities, yeah, but then yeah, we're yeah. also like, so, <laughs> I'm like, I mean, just to go back to when we did a pasta making course and yours were like perfect tortellini and mine was just like a big pile of mush. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, and you were just like grinning, and I was yeah. like, I know who you were at school. We wouldn't have been friends. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) well that's the thing is that we all carry it differently Mm. so like we it it depends on again where like our wounding is
1: so we really need to catch ourselves at like because the thing is we think these things because we have our entire lives and we never question them Mm -hmm. And like a Mm -hmm. massive thing Mm -hmm. for me is just to go to stop yourself and go why why yeah like when i'm like oh you can't like you can't get in a relationship yeah. yet yeah. because you haven't achieved this or yeah. you haven't got that yeah. or you don't weigh this right and just being like why who the
2: fuck says but that's kind of the beauty of the Saturn return is that like y- you sort of have to start nearing rock bottom in order to yeah. make change like it just is the way that it is humans yeah. don't we're, we don't you can't bypass change. that you cannot bypass that you know, which is what the Saturn return is for. I think in a lot of ways, it's like, oh, let's let's course correct you, like back to mm-hmm. w- who you are, who you really are.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think a huge thing that you realize is that we feel like everyone is behind us, going, "You need to do this, you need to do that." And sometimes that's true, but most of the time, it's just us, yeah, being like, "This is who you've got to be yeah. before you, yeah. can be totally
2: worthy." Yeah, essentially. but it's also so important for us to develop and have compassion for the reasons why we're telling ourselves these, you know, quote unquote lies. Like, and that goes into just, again, doing the work and like realizing the, like, Listening to becoming aware of that voice in your head and being like, "What am I? What? How do I actually speak to myself? What? What am I telling myself?" Because oftentimes it's just lies mm. that are trying to keep you protected.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and also comparison, I think, is such a huge one because it, you know, we go through school, we go through mm. life, all doing things at the same time, and then it suddenly becomes a bit of a free for all, and everyone's advancing at different stages. And it's interesting, like your experience versus mine, because you had this successful business, and then you moved to England and stuff, was like from the extent exterior thriving oh yeah whereas i would definitely feel like i wasn't but i would look at someone like you and be like why don't i have it figured out like Mm. she does and yet you were going through yeah why and yet you were going through your own experience
2: oh my god completely yeah i mean no one has it together by the way like no one (laughs) (laughs) i mean people are certainly moving like we're moving in a direction that is more we're shifting towards being more in our authentic selves. And I think that, you know, as we get there, we're, we're reaching places in which people truly are like living their purpose and are truly authentic. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I can tell you right now, the majority of human beings on this planet all feel like there's got to be something more and that everyone else is doing something right that they're not doing.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, we all feel like that imposter syndrome is just, it's like, a. I honestly think it's a part of like the human condition. And it
1: doesn't matter who you are or what you've achieved.
2: No, not at all.
1: Yeah, it all comes with its own pressure. Yeah. So going back to friendship, because yeah. a lot of people, have, like I mentioned to you, and that's why I wanted to cut. I kind of knew we were going to go off on inner child stuff. <laughs> but a lot of people have asked me to do a piece around female friendship. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, I definitely went through... I had, like, my friendship group that I had in London and this, like, version of me that was very established Mm -hmm. um, that I built up throughout, like, my teen years and early 20s and then, like, was behaving however I was behaving. But Mm -hmm. there was something in me that was just, like, this is not who I want to be Mm -hmm. and I kind of need to separate myself from this in order to explore that version because not only do we have our own narratives but like you go and meet up with a friend and they have their version of you Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and I always have this really like it's so interesting how you can feel that but I was always such a chameleon that I would just be like that person Mm -hmm. straight away that was my survival was like be whoever you need to be to fit in and make people feel comfortable and be and mm-hmm. feel loved.
2: Yep, yeah.
1: And for people to feel like good around you. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of my friends called me out on it. She was like, "There's a different kagi for every friend." Yeah.
2: My sister called me out on the same thing,
1: and I didn't realize. But she'd spent time with me, like in a f- with a few different people, and she was like, "You know, I think that I know you, and that there's like my kagi, but then I see like another mm. one." But I didn't even realize I was doing it, and mm-hmm. that became exhausting in itself Mm -hmm. because i wasn't living for myself yeah and that's something now i think i've really it's that takes a huge amount of discipline Mm -hmm. and like courage to master because when you start remaining like a bit more still in one version of who you are and cultivating that some people just fall by the wayside and that's a difficult process
2: well there's quite a bit of grief that comes up with that too like you're grieving like you're grieving old parts of yourself or Parts that don't serve you anymore, but that you, you still, you have an attachment to them. So you're letting go of like these versions of yourself that kept you safe. You're letting go of friendships, you're letting go of a lifestyle, you know, like there's so much that falls to the wayside and it is, I mean, it could be just as intense as like losing a person. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we talked so much about
1: The pain of a breakup of a relationship, Mm. a romantic relationship, Mm -hmm. but we rarely acknowledge the pain of a friendship Mm -hmm. dying.
2: Yeah, completely. And it happens all the time. Mm. Almost every friendship that I've yeah, I've had a couple of experiences. Um we have a different experience in that, like I still have my friends from high school, but they're like my friends from high school. Mm -hmm. And because I don't live there, like you still live in the place that you grew up in. If I still lived in my hometown. Like, I I can't imagine that I would be hanging out with the same people that I was when I was young, you know? Mm.
1: Because I've moved around a lot too. And Mm -hmm. that is such a blessing. And and it gives you this ability to actually start discovering who you are. And I know it's quite a luxury and not everyone Mm -hmm. can. But I think a lot of people are super fearful of embarking on something like that solo. But I cannot recommend it enough yeah, same. because you get to discover like other aspects of your self.
2: Oh, completely. Every time I've moved somewhere, every time I like land in a new place where I don't actually know anyone, I'm like, okay, like what, like, who do I want to be? Mm. You know, like, are there parts of myself that I was too afraid to show mm-hmm. in old relations, in old friendships or something? Like, how can I actually step more into my authenticity as who I am with people who I can't really be afraid of like how they're going to take it because
1: well, they have no past yeah, they, versions exactly. of you to attach themselves onto. Exactly,
2: yeah. Yeah, because if
1: I, I mean, like, oh, my God, I actually, when I went back to Australia, so I was super wild when I was in Australia when I lived there, and I went back at Christmas, and, of course, like, the version of me now that feels fa- fairly established and, like, grounded, and, like, the version you know, mm-hmm. if you came with me and her, oh like, my god, the way people, oh like, my god, people were coming up to me and they were like... Kagi, <laughs> I don't know if I told you this, but this girl came up to me, she was like, last time I saw you, you were a igu- iguana wrestling. And I was like, I'm, I'm sorry, <laughs>
2: who are you? <laughs> I didn't even recognize her and you that, were literally wrestling in an iguana and you,
1: no no iguana <laughs> wrestling is this thing that you put like belts around your head and you get on the floor and you like wrestle no. what like, and that i was just like oh, that's the kind of shit i used to do at like 4 a.m in the morning <laughs> with a bunch of people like partying but it was yeah. just it was it was You know, no pun intended, a really sobering moment for me to Mm. be like, wow, that was the version of myself I was then. Mm -hmm. And then to, like, skip to in L.A., that was really when I started to be like, I don't want to be, you know, in that partying environment. I just want to be a bit more grounded. And, Mm -hmm. like, if you ask people in L.A. about me that knew me, they were like, yeah, Kagi doesn't drink. She's, like, Mm. super, you know, hermity, blah, blah, blah. But then the people back in London that I grew up with would be like, Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And so, you know, they're all versions of me. But I think moving abroad gives you the opportunity to choose. Yeah,
2: it does. It definitely does. It can be difficult, though, because... You know, I've had I have people ask me all the time, like, how have you made friends? How have you found friends? And I, I've,
1: London's particularly tricky too. I
2: know, I know. All of like all of the you girls are like, how on earth did you like land in this group I of people? <laughs> I, I've had American friends that
1: have moved, yeah. and I'm like, you're gonna hate it. And they literally come back after a couple of weeks. They're like,
2: nobody wanted to be my friend. Because <laughs> it's so, it's like England is so much smaller than America, and everyone just knows each other. So there's like not a whole lot of like room for someone who's not from here to like wiggle their way in it's a cultural thing as well we're very very closed cultural yeah a friend of mine her ex-boyfriend um is english and she's american and he used to say that americans are like peaches and that brits are like coconuts where americans are like soft and juicy on the outside and like welcoming and warm but then there's like a pit on the inside (laughs) it's hard to get in once you know once you actually get to the center of them um and then Brits are like really hard on the outside. But then once you crack them, then there's, then there's, you're like, in. Yeah. Then that you're is in. That is so true. I know.
1: That is so true. Cause like when I was in America, everyone was so friendly, but yes. it always felt like quite surface level. Yeah. And like, I would kind of be friends for like a couple of weeks or months and then just like never see them again. Yeah. 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 Whereas That's here cool. it's like, once you make that friendship.
2: Yeah. Then, then it's, you're in. Then you're in. You're yeah. In. I'm in
1: you're in you're in (laughs) don't (laughs) you worry (laughs) um so I guess we've been pretty lucky with the friendships that we found but it's it takes
2: a minute we have it does it does it takes a minute and like since I've been in London which has been a couple of years there have been friendships that I've had that that have faded away you know like I've also had periods where I've tried to force friendships you know where I've like wanted when I like when I first moved here especially because I moved here for a relationship and we were together and then we broke up after seven months and then I was going through that whole grieving process and that was kind of a whole nother layer of this like sad on return thing um
1: well I think I don't know whether you did this but I think a lot of people in relationship myself included you kind of especially if you move for them mm. your life is like an extension of totally. of their life you just oh, kind of you're an accessory in their life really
2: Yeah, and I didn't know anyone here. So, Mm. like, we broke up and I was like, okay, all my friends were his friends, so what do I do now? Yeah, that's hard. It was really hard. So I had, like, a year of grieving that and really kind of staying indoors. And, like, that was, like, a whole other sort of process of this sort of spiritual awakening, if you want to call it that, was this learning. Because I had been a serial dater, you know, since I was, like, 15. I hadn't been single for more than three months. Really? Mm Mm-hmm. So he and I, Leo and I broke up and I was like, I was like, okay, wow. And I'm single. And, and now it's been two and a half years. It's the longest I've been single in my life. But now I can look back and I'm like, oh my God, I needed this because again, the same thing I needed to do a lot of soul searching. I was always looking for myself and men. Mm. And also I hadn't established friends here looking back on all of it. I'm like, wow, this has been so beautiful. Like the the female friendships that I've created. That, that, you know, we've created and, and our other friends. It's been honestly some of like the most beautiful relationships in my life, especially for where I am now, like as the person I am now, which feels like the most authentic version of myself mm. thus far in my life. And therefore to be seen in yeah, that version of you completely. and like loved and
1: held and carried. Yeah. Did you anticipate that? Were you looking for it or did it just kind of happen?
2: Um, no. I knew I want, I mean, I wanted friends. I knew that. But like, there was a level of like manifestation that occurred. Um, So in kind of going through that breakup and like really going through a whole nother level of like finding myself and figuring out who I really am without a partner was super important. And to really like stick through that, it did sort of feel like when I did start to put out the call for, for girlfriends and like, they just started coming in. I mean, it did feel sort of like this magnetic thing that was happening where it was like, I was again, stepping into my authenticity and then like in came, mm. in came friends, in came mm. friends. And it was always so serendipitous. Mm. Yeah. Cause I, I wouldn't necessarily say I was seeking out what I was seeking out was
1: something else as in like I need another way of living my life. I'm looking for something else. I don't know what the fuck that is, but, like, this isn't serving me. This isn't right and what the the hell else is out there. And people kept coming into my life in the most random ways. Mm -hmm. Like, and I, too, like you, was very much, like, relationships, romantic relationships were such a huge part of my identity. Mm. But that often caused me to, like, zigzag off my own path a lot of the time. And my value was around like who I was in that relationship to that person. Mm -hmm. But then coming out of the last one at the end of last year, and then like you coming into my life and us like establishing this, this group which Mm -hmm. is so nurturing i never anticipated and i call it like triumphant platonic (laughs) love because i never anticipated that a friendship could give me so much of the nourishment Mm. that a romantic partner does give Mm. of course it's like completely different but then when you start having those pieces filled by a different sort of love you don't need that romantic one as much like of course you desire it and you can want it and we talk about you know what we want from a partner all the time, but we're not, like, sitting around being, like... We just like, want to hug. <laughs> we just want a hug. But even speaking to some different, like, girlfriends that perhaps, you know, they all got married like wildfire, and I think they look at me as, like, a bit of a black sheep. Mm. They're just like, why mm-hmm. weren't you settled down? Mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. because I just don't need to right yeah, now. Yeah, Unless yeah, it's yeah. the right person, like, I yeah. don't need to. Yeah. And I think we give each other that support system, which yeah, is such completely. A, a nice thing.
2: Well, that's what's been so nice about meeting you. Like, there's been such, like, an energy exchange between both of us. I've seen it in myself, and I think I've seen it in you, just that we're both, like, really kind of rising into these, like, roles that mm. that we're both that feel so authentic to both of us, I feel.
1: Mm, that's really true. We've kind of ignited each other.
2: Yeah, a lot.
1: Yeah, because the last nine months have definitely been a rapid growth.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, for same for us. me.
1: Because we call each other out on shit, too.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is also so important, by the way. Like, that's a whole other conversation, but... Well, I think Mm -hmm. women can
1: be quite um, catty towards each other in a way that I don't... I haven't observed with men in the same way. Like, men are straight up, like, assholes to each other as that's their form of bonding. And it's funny and it's character building and, you know. But whereas women can be a lot more behind each other's... Backs and well
2: and this again goes into you know if we want to go down this road and we've talked about this it's that feminine wound it's that like ancient feminine wound where for we've been living in you know i don't want to get too feministic here but we've been living in a patriarchal society for hundreds if not thousands of years where men have been you know in power and women are seen as lesser than and it's always been like oh who's like who's the woman going to get in society like it's mm. there's always been this kind of undertone of like First of all, women not being equal to men—we all know that—but also, women like women against women, like who's got what, who's dating who, who's marrying who, like, and there's there's competition, and it's
1: because it's like there's like objectified ornaments on the shelf that are yeah. like, who are we going to pick? Therefore, totally. For once you get what picked, what look
2: like, How, do you cook? Like, are you like? It's been. It's It's always been about like what it is that we have to offer Offer materially Mm. and not you know historically hasn't had to do really with like who the person is so there's been this like and again it's why women are so easy to sort of back to the capitalistic conversation like buy this makeup and you're going to be so you're going to look like you know Claudia Schiffer yeah exactly women are susceptible to that kind of thing because it's just been hundreds of years of us just not being able to be authentically ourselves we're not taught how to communicate so now you know like I'm learning I feel like I've really been stepping into who I am and feeling really grounded in who I am so and learning how to communicate for the first time in my life and ask for what I want and what I need and it can be difficult but all of a sudden when you start doing it like when you start you know with with friendships like saying hey this thing happened and it didn't make me feel that good. Like, can we talk about it? Mm. You realize that there is a way to have a dialogue, but mm. we're so afraid to have that dialogue because we're all so afraid of rejection, which again goes back to childhood and like... Also, we're just not taught how to have... Right. Emotionally like you say. Illiterate. No, yeah.
1: And how to communicate and have confrontation yeah. in a healthy way. And then like, you know, within friendship and also re- relationship, and then we, we harbor that or then speak behind each other's backs because... Yeah, we don't want to go through that icky,
2: yeah, in yeah. between. Yeah, oh my god, I had such like I can remember being in high school. All the older boys were and me and my friends because we were like like fresh meat coming in, and um, there was so much competition between me and my me and my best friend. And I remember wanting to put gum in her hair at a football game, <laughs> which is so <laughs> ridiculous. I know, but it's like again, it's that like oh that boy that I want likes her. Like there's yeah. there's no. For women, I think oftentimes men take precedent over the friendship. Mm. And men just don't have that as much as we do. Like, like, oh, you're into her? Okay, cool. Like, yeah, whatever. There's, there's plenty of them out there where it's been like <laughs> fighting over them. Yeah, because we're taught, we've been taught so much that our value, so much of our value is in our partner and who we're with. And being picked. And especially, you know, it's like a very un- unfair
1: thing of, you know, especially like, after 30 that you know there's this mentality that men kind of come into their own and like just get better and better and better and whereas women like they're like oh why why is she still single and i've had conversations with guy friends about it and they're like oh you know they literally will be like yeah but why is she single she's like x-age i'm Mm -hmm. like are you fucking joking
2: oh my god it makes me so crazy even like even again back to media stuff there was an two Chanel ads that came out in the same year. Brad Pitt was in one of them and it was um, an older supermodel in the other one. Chrissy Turlington, maybe. Brad Pitt's photo is like rugged. You can see every wrinkle. Like they like, you know, change the lighting in the image just to make him look more weathered and he looks sexy as hell. And then you've got the Chrissy Turlington photo and they're the same age, or maybe not, but roughly. And um,
1: she's edited just to
2: Completely, shit. complete like every wrinkle's removed. And it's like, what is that messaging Mm. and that's the other problem is that because it's been going on for so long again there's it's so subconscious to us like it is now considered radical for a woman to like not get Botox I know which is is awful insane I did an exercise a couple of years ago when I was feeling a lot of that pressure of like oosh maybe I should get my lips done or like again because of all that subconscious programming that I needed to look a certain way so glad you didn't I know. I mean <laughs> well now I look at my face and I'm like, oh I like I love I love my face. Mm. But I did this exercise with myself where I wrote down everything about my body that I wanted to change. Mm. And then I flipped it and I was like, okay, what is it that I love about my lips? And I was like, I love kissing with my lips. Like I love that they give me this opportunity and this ability to like feel something with someone else. So as like a, a sort of like antidote to
1: that subliminal message or yeah. not even subliminal that messaging that's going out there all the time it's to write like a list
2: of yeah what, well know. again it's kind of flipping the script it's like developing the awareness to sort of pinpoint what it is that you are telling yourself and why what is that voice in your head and what is it saying to you so just flipping the script becoming aware of the thoughts that are negative mm. and figuring out because they're never true so there's this exercise that's actually so good you, have you heard of Byron Katie? Mm-mm. okay She's a spiritual teacher who developed this, it's called the work. That's what she calls it, um, where you ask yourself four questions. So if you have a thought about something, you know, like, you know, I recently had a friend. I I walked through this exercise with her because her now boyfriend wasn't her boyfriend yet at the time. Um, She was like, he's not responding to my texts and he he just, he's not into it. He's not into it. And so I stopped her and I was like, okay, we're going to go through these four questions. One, is that true? In the moment you're completely convincing yourself that yes it's true so you, it's a yes or no answer um oftentimes we say yes so the second question is can you be absolutely sure that that's true so center can you be can you absolutely know that he's not responded to you in a couple of hours because he doesn't like you anymore no you cannot be absolutely sure of that third question is how do you feel when you believe that thought so she started going through the list insecure sad you know all of the things and then the fourth question is, who would you be without that thought? So, if you were in the same exact situation and you weren't thinking that thought, who
0: mm. would you be?
2: I love that. And then what you do is flip it around. So, then you take the statement, he's not calling me or, because he's not thinking about me or doesn't like me. And you say, he does like me. It's again, because again, like you don't know the truth of the, the situation. So, what, mm. all you're doing is telling you're yourself. You're making a choice. You're completely making a choice. And also, it
1: goes back to this idea that, you know, through the media and advertising and all this messaging is basically to constantly tell us and remind us that our worth is outside of ourselves. Mm -hmm. So with when someone comes into our life, if it's a guy and he's not responding, that feeling of like, oh, my God, I'm worthless because he hasn't responded to me. Like, now I actually don't have because it's taken me a long fucking time to get there. But because I sometimes, like, my worth isn't dependent mm-hmm, on that, mm-hmm. nor is one's worth dependent on them getting X, Y, and Z done to their face so they right. can look like right. someone they've seen on social media. Right, And, like, it's also, I can't, I'm going to misquote this, but it's like, an educated and empowered woman has been long considered a dangerous thing. Mm-hmm. And that is, I think, both of our mission in different ways that we want to make women, like, empowered and just do, like, whatever whatever resonates with them, with what we're discussing, that allows them to kind of take ownership over themselves and to start embodying some of this stuff, whatever that looks like Mm -hmm. and whatever practices they need to do. But to stop them being on this kind of, like, conveyor belt of society that's just like, this is how you have to think and this is what you have to have to be to be worthy of anything
2: Mm -hmm. it's just so subconscious it just it does take it takes work but it's so beautiful like doing the work and really beginning to look at yourself and like committing to to yourself is really what's happening Mm. is just the most important thing that someone can do for themselves i used to carry a notebook around with me and write out the questions and actually do that every time like a you know quote-unquote negative thought popped into my head um, just and to write it get down. And write it down and go through those. And is it true? Is it, you know, and just to flip the script for myself and like really, really commit to doing that because it just, it just does take work. It doesn't just happen.
1: Well, it's like that thing you put up on Instagram the other day. It's like we can only, what was it, meet people as deeply as they've met themselves. Yes, exactly. And it's kind of the same thing. So yeah. you can't really just go from where you are to like having those kind of friendships yeah like you need to begin that path yourself
2: yeah. agreed and life ultimately like everyone who comes into our life is a mirror so like you do that work on yourself you're going to naturally magnetically start calling in people who are also doing the same thing how what would
1: your advice be on sort of trying to find Find those people, find like those women, Mm. if that's what you're looking for, those kind of friendships.
2: Mm -hmm. What I always recommend is like figure out what your interests are. So if it's like, if you are on a more spiritual path and that is like yoga or something, finding yoga classes, meditation classes and going. I've never been too shy to like just walk up to someone and be like, hey, Mm. just like start chatting with them
1: it's yeah that's interesting because when i was younger i used to have a serious problem with doing anything on my own like i always had to have a friend i was terrified whereas now i push myself to do mm. things like on my own because
2: yeah.
1: it's uncomfortable and it can be a little bit scary and a little yeah. bit uncomfortable but like you always achieve something that's from such a it. good
2: point i used to be the same way and i remember being nervous like the first few times i went to yoga classes as though like everyone in the room was looking at me mm. and now i mean like i I'm te- it's still terrible at yoga. I'm like the least flexible person ever, but I go and I could care less. Yeah. So again, it's kind of just like... Those practices Master calls them dis-confirming, disconfirming experiences, which is just we have to put ourselves through experiences to disconfirm the belief that we have. Mm-hmm. That like, oh God, I can't go alone. Or like, oh my gosh, everyone's going to be looking at me. Like you just have to do it, yeah. honestly.
1: And then you realize that that's not true.
2: And it's not true, exactly. It just takes practice. It just takes work. It just you've got to like feel into the discomfort and just sort of push through it. Mm-hmm. And the more of that authenticity that you step into, the easier it becomes ultimately. Mm-hmm. And, then the, and then the faster the people start coming in.
1: So oh, that's perfect.
2: Yeah. That's my recommendation. Well, thank you
1: so much for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you. Love you. Love you. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and learnt something from mine and Kelly's conversation. Kelly always has the best advice for me and it was such a gift that she came into my life when she did. And I know that as we transition through our 20s, friendships are a huge theme and there can be a lot of grief when they end. So finding like-minded individuals is so important as we grow and develop. Now, it has been such a joy making this podcast for you guys, and I'm truly overwhelmed by the messages of support, and that has meant so much to so many of you. So we will be back after a little bit of a break, and I just want to say a massive, massive thank you to all of you who have listened and shared. It's been such an amazing journey for me, so thank you very much from the bottom of my heart. You can find Kelly's brand, Francis Loom, on Instagram at Francis Loom or Kelly Vittingle, which we will put underneath because it's a complicated one to spell. And you can find me at Kaggy's World. Saturn Returns is a Feast Collective production. The producer is Hannah Varel and the executive producer is Kate Taylor. Until next time, thank you so, so much for listening. And remember, you are not
2: alone. Goodbye.